0: again and once again thank you worship team praise team for all the time and effort you guys have put into practicing and leading us in praise we are very thankful for you guys it's been a joy to sing and to praise the Lord together let us open our Bibles this evening to Philippians chapter 2 Philippians chapter 2 I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 4 Philippians 2, 1 through 4, says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let us pray together once more. O oh God, once more, we call out to you and we seek your blessing upon our time together. We, we need you, oh God, to open the eyes of our hearts, to comprehend, to apply, to, to obey what you have for us here. We ask that you would be honored and that you would be with us during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, so far... Where are we in our journey? In our little journey, we, we hiked up the mountain. the ground. No, we're soaring. We hiked up. We, we hiked up to the top. It took us a few days, and we built some groundwork. We built some basic ideas and concepts of how to think about ourselves. And then we, we were about to jump off, and we looked down, and we saw, hey, it's really far down kind of steep and scary, I'm feeling a little weak, and now we've jumped off and we're soaring with our squirrel suit, okay? And this is where we really want to to dive in and to see and to flesh out what does it look like, What what is the main thing maybe that he calls us to do as people rooted in his love. So far we have said, I am made in his image, right? That's where we started. I am made in his image. He says who I am. What God says about me is what matters. And because of the fall, my desires are often corrupt. My mind, my desires, my deeds are corrupt. I seek glory from people rather than glory of God. And yet, we saw, he still loves me. He sent Christ to die in my place to make me right with him. And this is not because I have something to offer him. This is not based on my performance this is because he set his love on me. He sees me as his beloved, as his inheritance. And even now, as I seek to live life differently, I find myself often weak, lame. I need daily to rely upon his grace. And this is a lifelong struggle that requires dependent efforts and All of this we're talking about in the context of fear of man. And our fear of man, the way we seek to please people, is so tied up with the fact that we have dethroned God and that we seek pleasures in other people rather than in him. We have exchanged his glory for the images of of man and creeping things. And because we've exchanged his glory, because we've spurned his love, we seek for love in other places. And we always come up dry and empty and our desire to be loved is just a shadow of the fact that we're meant to be satisfied in god's love he is the fountain and everything else is a leaky bucket okay that's where we've come so far and the question that i want to ask you for this evening is how then should we think of other people how should we think of other people how should i then relate to other people? Who am I in relationship to other people? Should we go become monks and live up in a monastery? Uh, Should I quit my job and quit school and just read the Bible all day long and just avoid people? Is that what the Christian, the answer is no to the shaking their nodding their heads. The answer is no, of course not. Should we walk around all day with a big megaphone, just like shouting at people to repent? Um, Should we just walk around with our Bibles open, like reading through the Bible while we're out loud at people in the grocery store? In every single, in, in Luke's class, should you be talking out loud and praying and reading the Bible? Probably not. No. He's shaking his head for those that didn't look back. How should we think of relationships? Who are we in relation to other people? What is our job? What, are, what is our role? What, what are we meant to be doing is the question that we're asking tonight. And the answer that I want to submit to you is that we should think of ourselves as sent. How does God think of us? He thinks of us as sent. S-E-N-T. We are sent. S-E-N-T. <laughs> Uh, To love people. You have been given a mission. We have been given a mission. Just like Adam and Eve had a mission in the beginning to tend and keep the garden, so too now we, having been redeemed, having been rescued, having climbed off and, and sent off the mountaintop, we have a mission. The mission is not to seek love from other people, but to seek to love other people. The mission that God has given us is to seek to, to love other people rather than be loved by other people. And some of you are thinking, well, mate, why is he in Philippians 2? And this is maybe not the most clear, direct passage that talks about being sent, but I do want to help show you that there is a missional missions context to this passage in Philippians, and I think it speaks loudly and helpfully has helped me think about loving other people, uh, because we are not like a teacup, <laughs> a little chip teacup that needs to be filled, um, like a, a love tank with a leak that needs to be filled before we can love other people. We should think of ourselves more like a channel, like an aqueduct, carrying a conduit, carrying the love of God through us to other people. That's who we are. Um and i'm not just saying the answer is not just saying we should just be nice to everyone just be nice to everyone we'll all hold hands and we'll all sing kumbaya and everything's just going to be great uh what the world needs now is love sweet love that's all we need and that's not exactly what i'm saying i'm also not saying just stay in your lane just don't bother anyone else I said before, like, just walk on the tightrope, get across, don't bump others off. And that's, that's life. That's actually not life. That's not what we're saying uh, this is. The mission is rather, positively, it is to obey Jesus Christ as Lord and to do what pleases him, not other people. And what he calls us to do is to love other people as he loved us. And yes, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. We are on a mission to love, not to be loved. And thankfully, uh, for all of you, I've mastered this, essentially. Just kidding. Um, basically a professional at loving other people. My family's shaking their heads. Why are you shaking your heads? <laughs> we, we all desperately need God's help to do this. So let us, let us see what this says together. First, we are sent. Second we are sent to love. Third, we love rooted in love. Okay? First, we are sent. Second, we are sent to love. Third, we love rooted in his love. Okay? The first point is that we are sent. Um, and here, we're going to jump back a little bit in Philippians to understand the, con- the context of where we are. Cause We just jumped into chapter 2, verse 1. But I want us to start off looking at chapter 1, verse 3. It starts out like this. Philippians 1, 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because. Why? Why is he so joyful? Why does he pray for them so joyfully? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So from the beginning of the letter, Paul is saying, I'm writing a letter to you guys and I'm really thankful for you. I pray for you all the time because of your partnership in the gospel. This is a a gospel, a missional letter to the church in Philippi. Um, His thankfulness for the Philippian people is because from the first time he met them and preached the gospel to them, they jumped in and they were involved in the gospel Uh, the work of the gospel air quotes meaning uh, evangelism and edification they were involved in help helping bring people in by bringing the lost in preaching the gospel to people who didn't believe in jesus yet and also edification the gospel is what builds the church up and and grows us and continues to help us to advance in our walk with god and the philippians uh, they didn't just move on with their lives They didn't just believe and then like, cool, I'll add Jesus to my life. This became central to their life. This became their life. Um, And they they were not uh, just consumers sitting on the couch. Like, I wonder what's on church today, you know, on TV. They, They weren't doing that. They were involved in the work. And let's jump ahead now to chapter one, verse nine. He continues to pray for them, and here's the content of his prayer for the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. That's the essential prayer. He wants their their love to abound as a church uh, with knowledge and discernment, so that, this is the goal, that you may approve of what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with all the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What a prayer. What a, what a goal to have in mind, right? He, he wants them to approve what is excellent. This is a, a wonderful little phrase here. Um, he wants them, the word to approve here is an interesting word and it means you've examined something with the intent and the result of approving it. Like you tested it you discerned, you evaluated it, you approved it. That's what the word approve here means. And that's what they did. He, that's what Paul wants them to do, to approve of what is excellence. To have a heart that examines, desires, appreciates, approves of things you might say that really matter. The things that really matter are what Paul wants them to approve of, test and approve. There's a lot of good things. There's a lot of things out there that are good. And worthy of our time but the burden of Philippians is to approve of to rejoice in the things that really matter and what are the things that really matter from the context of Philippians the advance of the gospel look at verse 12 right after I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel look at verse 21 Or he goes on and he says it a few different ways in verse 21. For to me, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we see this even earlier in what he said about their partnership. The thing that really matters to Paul, the thing that he wants them to really, really care about is that the mission advances. That Christ is exalted, that the gospel continues to grow, continues to advance inside the church. And outside the church. And we see this throughout Philippians. Uh, Let's look one more passage. Philippians 1.27. You might see this as like his main exhortation here. Only. He's like, I want only. Care about this one thing, guys. I got one thing to tell you. Only. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or in absence. Whether I'm looking over your shoulder or not, that is. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is what he wants us to care about. Uh, Keep doing the things they're doing. Keep striving. Keep partnering in the gospel. Not just avoiding people, not walking a tightrope trying to not knock other people off, but living on the mission that was given to us, being of one mind. And the one mind that we're supposed to have is the gospel, to live as Christ, to make him known. And so that's the context from Philippians 1 that leads us right up into chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, so, so then, if, and he goes on, so I hope that helps clarify that what's, up, what's at stake here in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, is about the advance of the gospel. That's what we're talking about, the fact that we have been sent on a mission and we are supposed to continue and strive forward on that mission. If you could turn with me to John chapter 15. So just to show you a couple other passages of what Jesus had said. We read this verse earlier, John 15, a few times, where Jesus said, Abide in my love. If you abide in my love, you will, or if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And he says it a few more different ways. Then look at chapter 15, verse 16. John 15, 16. Jesus says to his, his disciples there, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Okay, he chose us. What did he choose us to do? And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruits, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus chose us, he appointed us, to go and bear fruit. He he sent us on a task. Chapter 17, John 17, verse 18. He is here praying to the Father in his high priestly prayer, it is called. John 17, 18, Jesus says, as you, the Father, sent me into the world. So I have sent them into the world. That's remarkable. The same way the Father sent the Son, Jesus the Son sends us into the world. So how should we think of ourselves? Sent. We are sent. That is what we we are. We are on a mission. A mission to do what? Good question. Go back to Philippians 2 if you could. Philippians 2. That's the first part, we are sent. The second part, we are sent to love people. We are sent to love people. We also could have read, I skipped it just now, John 13 was another passage there. Jesus had said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you've memorized like 30 Bible verses. All by this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, is what he said. Loving one another is this, this mark of being his disciples, okay? So what are we sent to do? We are sent to love people. Jesus calls us to love one another, the church, fellow believers, in a unique way. But he also calls us to love our enemies, to love the lost, to love, to love everyone. So we should not limit this to just loving believers. This is also loving other people, loving everyone. And we're going to see that in Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verses, 3, and, or verses 2 through 4. Verse 2, he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So what I want you to see in verse 2 is that he's telling us to love the church. Verse 2 is telling us love the church. And his his basic simple request is like, Agree! (laughs) Please just agree with each other. Have one mind together on this one thing we're supposed to be doing. He piles up all these words. He says, uh, Be of the same mind. Have the same love be in full accord have one mind you could say it more literally it translates this way think the same thing have the same love be united in soul the word is soul and think the one thing just think the one thing guys have the one thing on our minds he's like pleading with them please listen please be focused on this task Love Christ, love one another, love the lost. Have one mind and heart together as the church, which is the glory of Jesus Christ through the advance of the gospel, both in the church and outside the church. And this oneness of mind, I do want to say, is unique to within the church. He's not saying have one mind with your neighbor. It doesn't say, have one mind with the governor of California, have one soul with Gavin Newsom. It does not say that, thankfully. Uh, It does not say that we should agree with all of our friends, all of our classmates, all of our teachers, with everything. It doesn't say that. And it's common, right? It's common in our day and age to think that you have to agree with someone in order to love them. And that's not true. Right? It's not true. You can disagree with someone and still love them. But often, nowadays, if you do not affirm someone, then you hate them. But that's not a right way of thinking things. That's not reality. I want you to know that that's not what the Bible's saying here. It's okay to disagree with someone and you can still love them, just not agree with everything that they think. Uh, but what the Bible's saying here is that not that all ideas are equal, it's not saying have one soul with the culture. It's saying have one soul in the church With, with fellow believers in Jesus Christ. We should have one mind together. Agree that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Agree that the glory of Jesus is what matters. Agree that being his beloved people, being rescued, being redeemed, being righteous, being loved in him is the one hope of the world. Okay, that's what we should agree about. And the truth is, we get pretty distracted sometimes, don't we? We get distracted. And we can get pretty self-focused on our goals, the things we want to accomplish in life, job, school, career, relationships. We, we start thinking about, you know, my life is, is, is pretty great. Or we, we think nice houses are pretty great. Nice food, nice cars, nice vacation uh, those are all pretty great. I kind of want those things. Maybe I'll pursue those things. Um, sometimes we get distracted and we, we focus on just, I'm right. We start thinking, I'm right about everything. And we, we make divisions amongst ourselves, little, little different groups. We 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 care about, we argue about doctrines that are not the most important thing. Um, we argue about the songs that we sing at church. We argue about the carpet of the color. The carpet of the color, the color of the carpets <clears throat> at church or, or more, maybe more closer to home. We, we argue about masks, don't we? We argued about COVID. People separated about COVID and about masks and teased about COVID and masks. That's so secondary. We are to have one mind together. What are we here for? We're here to worship God. We're here for Christ, for the gospel. We are all different, right? Look around. Like, oh, that guy, that girl next to me. We're pretty different. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's, we are all brought here together not because we're all the same, not because of a hobby, not because we have common personalities or common music tastes. We're here because of Jesus. The thing that should make Christians different is loving different people. <laughs> We love each other, even though we're all different from each other, because of the change that Jesus did in us. I love how Ephesians 4 says it in the beginning. It says, put up with one another in love. (laughs) Bear with one another, please, in love, because of Christ. And so Paul says, make my joy complete. Make my joy complete. Every parent, every teacher, I think, understands this. You see divisions amongst your students, amongst your kids. You just wish that they would agree together, be in harmony together, be at peace together. And this is God's heart for his people. He wants his people to love one another. There is joy in heaven, Jesus said, when a single sinner repents. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. For the joy of having a people, his inheritance, we are his inheritance, and he wants us to love each other. Build each other up. Encourage each other. That's the first kind of love. Love for the church. Okay? Second kind of love, we see in verses 3 and 4, put others before yourself. And this applies to everyone. This is not unique to the church. Verses 3 and 4, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. At my home, uh, a couple times when we've gone on vacations, uh, we have a vacation verse. We like, I've picked a verse a couple times for us to kind of go back to and and read together and think about over the course of our vacation. It's often been this one. (laughs) We've often come back to this one, uh, that we would focus on on loving and serving each other through our times of rest as well. And and here we get to the heart of what we're really talking about. uh, That the fear of man makes us self-focused in the wrong way right we care about ourselves other people loving us praising us accepting us protecting us we got our magnifying glass out and it's pointed at ourselves somehow and we are focused on ourselves me 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 and we're doing it wrong we've exchanged God's glory and we want to have our eyes off of ourselves off of our needs and focused on other people's needs okay so stop saying we need to stop saying i need to be loved so i can be happy and we need to start saying i am secure in god's love he sends me to love other people not to worship them and so there's two there's two parts to what verses three and four tell us about love it says it negatively what love is not and then it says it positively what love is very simply negatively what love is not Do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing, he says, from selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is using other people like stepping stones, you might say. uh, Rungs on a ladder. You need to climb higher than other people in life. Sometimes you need to step on other people to get higher, people say. And if I don't get ahead, I'll be left behind. So I need to use other people to get ahead or they're gonna use me to get ahead. So I gotta get ahead. That's selfish ambition, pursuing our goals. He also says, do nothing from conceit, nothing from conceit. The word conceit there is fascinating. It means empty glory. The word is empty glory. Do nothing from your empty glory. We, We get all puffed up sometimes about our glory, don't we? So great, so great, but it's empty compared to God's glory. And sometimes we we do this. We live to prop up ourselves. We protect our image. We protect our reputation. We want to be the cool kid. Uh, And we go to whatever lengths to to hide our sin and shame. And we thrive up other people's acceptance. Another way of looking at conceit is is the opposite. Running into a corner uh, to hide from others. Living in dread that people will see the emptiness of your glory and then spurn you. Avoiding others to protect yourself is another kind of conceit. He says, that's not love. Also, he says, don't look out for your own interests. Looking out for your own interests, our own interests, is what we do best, really. This is what we do best as fallen people. I exist for me. Gotta look out for number one. And Paul says, stop it. Stop it. Uh, That's not love. He actually doesn't say only. In the English, it says, uh, in verse 4, first half of verse 4, it says, let each of you look not only to his own interests. The word only is not there. And we added in because we think he probably meant that. And he probably did, because he says also later on. But he doesn't say only. He says, don't look out for your own interests. It's an emphatic way of saying it. And when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, He was appealing to this, sort of. Like, we already do this so naturally. We do this so easily. Do that towards other people. Take that instinct that you have towards yourself to take care of your needs and direct it to others instead. But he says, don't hear. Don't look out for your own interests. Kind of radical, isn't it? Sounds dangerous. It is. That's the negative side. Uh, Positively, what is love? Love is thinking of other people as more significant. He says that in verse 3. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Think of other people. It starts with how you think, doesn't it? Think of other people as more significant than yourself. Start saying things like, my wife, for me, is more significant than me. My friends are more significant than me. My kids are more significant than me. My siblings are more significant than me. My classmates are more significant than me. My neighbors, my boss, my teacher, the barista at Pete's, is more significant than me. Just not the one at Starbucks. <laughs> not the ones at Starbucks. you got to draw a line somewhere. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, the car behind me on the freeway. The guy tearing tickets at the movie theater. There are people all around us, everywhere. And how do we think of them? Do we think of them as, they're here to serve me? Or do we think of them as they're more significant than me? It starts with how we think. Rather than looking around, comparing ourselves, puffing our chest out, that's what guys do, standing taller, flexing, rather than seeing competition in other people, we see object, rather than seeing objects to use for our gain from other people, we should instead see with compassion When you look around, do you see competition or do you see people with needs that need compassion? And that gets on to the next part. But he also says, look out for the interests of others. As we we look at them and we see that they're more significant than me, we then view them with compassion and we see their needs. We see other people as having needs. Um, Needs that you should not mock needs that you should instead meet. When we see needy people, we should not mock them. We should meet their needs. We should help them in their needs. And the point is not to let people walk all over you or abuse you or mistreat you. That's not what this is saying. That leads back to the fear of man, of not, uh, not treating them the right way, of reverencing everyone, living in fear of them, allowing them to do that. That's not what he means. Because letting bullies remain as bullies that's not loving that's not loving the bully seeing their need of the bully is different from seeing the need of the one being bullied the point rather is that rather than seeing people as an annoyance to you rather than seeing people as frustrating to you offending to you mean to you you should instead see them as needy because it's not about you it's about them The greatest need that people have is what? The gospel. Knowing Jesus is the greatest need that people have. As we said a bunch of times in our time together, that without the gospel, we stand naked and exposed before God. He sees everything about us. And we will do business with him. Everyone will stand in judgment before him. And everyone else's relationship with God is what matters. When someone yells at you, It's not about you okay when someone yells at you gets angry at you it's really not about you what's happening at that moment is that you are experiencing a breakdown in that person's relationship with God and if you can see that it's not about whether or not you're offended by what they're doing but it's about their relationship with God that is collapsing then you rather than being offended you can see them with compassion and see that what they need is Christ, not retaliation. What they need is Christ, because that's what Jesus did. Philippians 2, verse 5 and on, goes on to tell us that this is what Jesus did. We were offending God. We were the ones blaspheming God. We were the ones that had spurned God, and God reached out in compassion. Jesus left heaven to come here because we offended him. Because we sinned against him. That is what God did when he saw our need. God calls us to do the same thing. See other people around us and see their needs and love them. Bring the gospel to them, but not just the gospel. Because standing outside, like we said, with a big sign that says you're going to hell and be like, I'm loving people all day long. Bring in the truth. Um, is not really all that he calls us to do, right? Because that's not the gospel anyway, really. That's a tiny part of the, that's a part of the gospel. That's not the good news part. Um, and so beyond bringing the gospel to people, we also need to actually love people. Actually love people. Be gentle, humble, patient, kind, generous. All the things, following Jesus, imitating Jesus as he treated other people. If you could turn with me to First Thessalonians real quick. First Thessalonians chapter two verse three. First Thessalonians two, three. It says there, for our appeal, Paul's talking about his ministry in the Church of Thessalonica, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but here we go, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory for people, whether from you or others. Uh, Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. He said we shared with you not just the gospel, but we were ready to share our whole lives with you, our whole selves. Uh, so is this this ought to be our, our character, our manner of life. And with a little bit of time left, I want us to look at the last section. We love rooted in love. We are sent, we should think of ourselves as sent on a mission. The mission is to love other people. And thirdly, we love rooted in love, and we're going backwards again. Philippians 2, verse 1. Sorry for the backwards. He says, so if there is any encouragement In Christ. Any comfort from love. Any participation in the Spirit. Any affection and sympathy. Everything we've said so far. I wanted us to end here. End on the the ground, the reason, the thing that makes it possible. Because uh, we ask, you know, that, that sounds dangerous. You know, giving and giving up of my own self. What happens to me? What about me? And the the only thing that allows us to do this, the why, the how, is that we're rooted in love. This is what he's saying with these four questions, that we are rooted in God's love for us. This is what enables this kind of love in verses three and four. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Then, he says, consider others more significant. Is there any comfort from the love of Christ in your life? Yes, Uh, seek to meet other people's interests. Is there any fellowship in the Holy Spirit? Yes, then be of one mind in the church. Is there any affection or sympathy that God has shown to you? Then show it to others. He asked these four rhetorical questions that all have a resounding, of course, of course. Is there any encouragement? from knowing that you have a right standing with God now and into eternity? Is there any comfort from knowing that God has loved you from before he created the world? Is there any fellowship in the Holy Spirit? Is he in you, that is? Is he changing your heart? Have you partaken in Christ? Are you a recipient of mercy, of of sympathy, untold mercy, unfathomable sympathy? Have we received mercy? From God, verse one. The, these four questions. This is the ground to everything else that Philippians two through four has said. I just I want to point out once again that this is a call to be rooted in God's love. We are secure in His love, and only that, only that, can empower a life of radical love and service to other people. Okay, only that. When we're stuck on the roller coaster of other people's opinions. It's a rough ride. People are fickle, people are demanding, unforgiving, unsatisfying, ruthless. But when we believe in Christ, when we sink our roots deep down into his love and find that we are secure throughout any difficulty that a person would bring into our life, through any difficulty that life would bring into our life, we can we can continue to serve Christ. We can continue to love people. In Christ, we have an anchor. We have a foundation. We have strong roots to build a life of love and service and sacrifice on. He saved us and now he sends us. All right? Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, God, that you have sought out us, that you have rescued us, that from before the foundation of the world, you chose us, you forgave us, and you you empower us, and now you also send us to love and to care for other people, to show to others the mercy that you have shown to us. So I ask God that you would empower us to live, not to be loved, but to love and to serve those that you put into our lives, whoever they would be. Help us to begin here. Help us to begin in our homes and to love and honor you. And we thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.